0: The terrible climate change is also the reason why we have such bad allergies, too. Which is funny, because Knoxville's in the top five of the nation.
1: Living in, like, the North Georgia mountains, I was like, oh, I live in the mountains. Of course my allergies are going to be bad here. Move to Knoxville and die. My ears close up. My allergies get so bad.
2: Your ears close up. That's crazy. That's also scary. Like, that would freak me out.
0: I can't hear anything. Ah!
1: Are y'all ready to actually get this thing going? aye
0: aye captain
1: i can't hear you okay i thought you were gonna go for it in there nope all right nope i'm
0: ready i'm ready Hot
1: part, part of the south not your daddy's appalachia Hot part, part of the south progress cannot wait Welcome to Pot of the South, a production of Change Tennessee. Pull up a chair and refill your sweet tea as we peel back the layers of Southern politics to get a better understanding of what's going on and why it matters. My name is Gabe, and joining me today is Knoxville's gayest forger of shiny math rocks, Maggie Loveday. Hello. And today our guest is a fan of all four seasons, not just the current hot and less hot. Cassie Jackson. Hello. Thanks for joining us today, Cassie, and. If- for those of you who might not have picked up on it, today we're going to talk about why it's so damn hot and climate change in general. But before we jump into why we should take care of literally the only hospitable planet, what's something that you feel needs a good spotlight right now, Cassie?
2: Ooh, a good spotlight. Um, So... Some of y'all may have seen this, but it's a bunch of bullshit regardless. Um, So the bipartisan infrastructure bill that just was introduced, I believe last week. And so regarding that, first of all, bullshit, is even more bullshit in who wrote the bill. It was essentially written by Exxon lobbyists. And so there was this video, this kind of like shocking video that did not get enough coverage um, that was secretly recorded by a Greenpeace activist in which an Exxon lobbyist describes efforts to undercut climate action, which is no shock to anyone at all. But it's just, you know, yet another example of something, you know, anything that kind of like challenges capital never gets enough coverage. So This lobbyist described working with shadow groups to fight climate science and like detailed efforts to weaken Biden's proposals um, to burn less oil. And this is just like, you know, it's the shit of how Congress works, why hundreds of people are suffering and dying in the Pacific Northwest from these heat waves, and why New York City is being asked to turn off their AC while Times Square is fully lit up and there are tornadoes everywhere. So and why uh, Chattanooga is the sixth fastest warming city in the United States. So yeah they Exxon is calling the shots and uh, they basically wrote that bill and it just did not get enough coverage so straight BS.
1: I'm not surprised by like the fossil fuel industry like basically buying the American political system. I mean that's no it's really no different than like what Chevron is doing with Steve Donzinger as well. You know, he wins hit the largest suit uh, regarding pollution in the world, and Chevron's like, oh no, we're not going to pay this because of made-up charges. And now, you know, it's Exxon doing the same thing to the legislative branch. Like, Chevron gets the judicial, Exxon gets the legislative, Who, who's going to get the executive? You think BP's going for the executive?
2: <laughs> yeah, there's going to be one for each, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what the strategy is. But yeah, it's it's bullshit regardless. And yeah, it's been going on for so long now. I mean, there are, you know, it's no revelation at all. But like they buried science about climate change going back to at least the 80s. So yeah, this is, this is just kind of how things work. And it's why we're in the mess that we're in right now. And it definitely needs to change. Otherwise... Yeah. Where are we going to (laughs) go? As you said, we don't really have anywhere else to go. I was talking
0: to my dad about this today, actually, and it was really funny because he was like, oh, we're
2: all surprised that there was a conspiracy
0: theory cover up about (laughs) climate change. Look at me. I'm shocked. And I was like, you're not shocked, are you, dad? And he goes, "No, I've been telling people this for years.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. I wish uh, my parents felt the same way.
1: (laughs) I just read uh, a People's History of the United States and Howard's and kind of like what you were just talking about, Cassie, like going back to the 80s of people being like, hey, we need to do something about this. Like this has been going back since the 80s. And like you said, it hasn't been getting any coverage because it challenges the current structure of how capital moves through the country. So God forbid we ever do anything proactive, especially during My personal favorite president, Ronald Reagan's tenure, I mean, that man really knew how to uh, run a country into the ground, but he knew how to run a country.
2: Yeah, where is it running? I mean, (laughs) I guess it depends on where it's going. If it's into the ground, he did a great job. (laughs) He's running it into a whole
0: lot of other countries. What, you have drug lords that want to run the country down there? Sure.
2: We're going to take
1: a quick break, everybody. Like we said, refill that sweet tea, and when you come back, we're going to take a dive into climate change. Our sponsor this week, Elon Musk, knows a thing or two about climate change, because his companies are doing their share of changing the climate. Whether it's SpaceX leaving rocket debris along the Texas coast, or ramped up mining operations to produce Teslas, Musk has his hands full with the effects of climate change. Elon Musk, once my companies destroy Earth, we're moving to Mars. thank you for tuning in. To start this conversation, we're going to kind of start big picture and the hot topic, the hot button that everyone always wants to throw out when climate change comes to the discussion, other than is it a hoax, uh, is the Green New Deal. So kind of, you know, 30,000 foot view of the Green New Deal, like what does it do? I mean, it's basically just trying to move us forward away from fossil fuels and non-renewable resources. I mean, The whole term of that non-renewable like once once you burn that gallon of gas that lump of coal it's gone like it's not coming back so kind of at the top you know that's what the green new deal wants to do and aims to do but there's a whole lot more to it as well of why it's so important i know maggie you were pointing out one of the big things that's kind of not really talked about is There's some food sovereignty elements to it. So, you know, we're not having to transport food as much. Getting rid of the subsidies and cutting back on subsidies for fossil fuel companies. I mean, there's a whole lot that goes on with it.
0: Including zero emission vehicle infrastructure, zero emission public transit, high speed rails, hopefully with that infrastructure. I mean, it's tying in with that big infrastructure bills that hopefully we'll be able to move through and do some rebuilding for our country. And even including doing some building inspections and creating better AC and heated housing that is you know, more reliable for so building giant apartment buildings that maybe use geothermal rather than an electric system to heat the whole housing unit and stuff like that. This bill has so many great
2: things for our earth and for our people. I volunteer with Sunrise Movement and, and our whole thing is basically trying to get the Green New Deal passed and try to, to try to, um you know, move, move this country, you know, in the right direction on climate change in you know, aggressively so, because that's literally, that's what the science requires. That's what, where we're at. That's what we're, it it, it just requires it of us to do this um, aggressively and quickly because otherwise we're kind of fucked. So, you know, just kind of the nuts and bolts of it are, it's a, it's a resolution. You know, I mean, you, you guys both just named some really great parts of the Green New Deal, but it also kind of remains relatively vague kind of on purpose because it's a resolution it's not an actual bill it's house resolution 109 it's only 14 pages long you can go online and read the whole thing in about 10 minutes or less you know it's it's really like an easy read so if you've not actually read it if you've just heard a bunch of like propaganda about it on cable news you know just go read it for yourself and see what it says but yeah so it's a resolution to mobilize every aspect of American society to 100% clean and renewable energy, to guarantee living wage jobs for anyone who needs one and a just transition for both workers and frontline communities, but all before 2030. And so, you know, it's it's very aggressive. But yeah, it's it's that's literally what the science demands of us at this point, because we've just, you know, we've ignored this issue for so long. And right now we're on track to, the global temperature is on track to rise at least... It could be it could be up to four, but at least two degrees Celsius this throughout this century, and two degrees Celsius is pretty catastrophic. We're trying to you know we're trying to stay between 1.5 to two degrees Celsius, and that's just like where we're at right now because we you know it's definitely going to rise at least 1.5. I would imagine it'll be great if that's all it does, but if it rises up to four, it's kind of kind of game over. So. So yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, there's so many serious issues facing us right now. And um, all of them are, first of all, like interlocked with climate change, and they all intersect with climate change. But this is this is the one with the, the biggest ticking time bomb behind it. So it's incredibly important that we move aggressively.
1: And that's, you said, in a best case scenario, only moving one and a half degrees Celsius. If you're not, people aren't familiar with Celsius, you know, that's probably like maybe three to four degrees Fahrenheit, if I'm rough mathing it in my head. That's pretty significant of a change exactly like what you were saying cassie when you start having these kinds of drastic changes ocean temperatures are changing air temperature is changing which is changing currents and it just it's a snowball effect it's just one thing after another starts happening at that increase in ocean temperatures and air temperatures you know maybe you only had one class five hurricane a year like okay we can handle that well now you're having Three, you're having four class five hurricanes a year. And what was once then an isolated incident is now a like, oh, all right, I guess it's uh, it's March. I might as well not build anything because everything's about to get leveled. Be- the situation becomes more and more dire each time each year goes by. And those small incremental changes quickly add up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, it just kind of, you know, like, I can't remember the term for it. But after it's either 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius of warming, it becomes self sustaining. And there's nothing that we'll be able to do to stop it. So even if we were were to like, at that point, you know, transition to renewables. I, I mean, of course, we need to keep trying to do that no matter what happens. But it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a, become a problem that we're not gonna be able to reel back after that point. So this is why we need to be moving aggressively. And it's not just, you know, and I don't want to say I don't want to minimize any of because we're already and we have been experiencing. I mean, people are dying in the Pacific Northwest right now right now because of the heat waves going on out there. We have refugees from, you know, South America, Latin America, and in other places in the world that are climate refugees and it's due to either extreme heat that's affecting their daily lives and or farming. Um so that's huge and basically all of this is eventually going to culminate in something that will put our <laughs> international food systems at risk. <laughs> and if that collapses, our economies are very fragile, yada yada yada. So even if we're not seeing things that are you know, actual natural events that are killing a ton of people at once, our economic systems are much more fragile, even than that. So you know, it doesn't take too much to kind of like set that off, as we all know. (laughs) So that's another reason why this is such a pressing issue to to deal with. Yep, my friend lives in Portland,
0: and we were messaging the other day. And she was like, I'm so lucky to have an AC unit system that I picked up several months ago that I didn't even think I was gonna have to use. But it's like, 80 degrees in my apartment currently and a hundred and something degrees outside. And I have to wait until it's completely dark outside for me to walk my dog so that my dog doesn't die. And I can't even imagine the impact that is happening on the wildlife
2: that are in the Northeast. You know, I mean, climate change is a, a race issue. It's a class issue. It's a workers issue, you know, all of it's and, and many other things as well. It intersects with literally everything, but it, it, it impacts Um, you know, folks in marginalized communities so much harder, and like people who are in a more privileged station, you know, are able to get through it much more easily. And that's just going to continue to calcify, because like, you know, the resilience, they're they're a bunch of like, you know, like the Atlantic Council, and a bunch of these other, you know, sort of NATO-aligned, like very neoliberal, like organizations in, in sort of dovetailing with the United States policy, you know, are just basically trying to make the United States more resilient to climate change, which I mean, they're not even doing a great job at that. But as opposed to actually trying to confront these systems that led us to this place, it's just really stresses the importance of not only solidarity with the people that live here, but international solidarity with like, these countries that are experiencing climate change much more severely than we are at this point, but they also contributed to it far less than we have. So it's just this, the inequity of it is just multi-level, you know, layers deep.
1: Fun fact about climate change, kind Cassie, exactly what you were talking about of these other countries that are feeling the brunt of it because they're not global powerhouse like the U.S. That was a big driver of ISIS recruitment and like Taliban recruitment or all these farmers whose crops were going to shit because of extreme drought. And it's like, oh, you were a farmer. You can't like harvest anything now we'll pay you whatever your farm was, if you'd come take this AK-47 and join our military.
2: Wow, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was like their number one recruitment strategy, but there were villages that they were leveraging mass drought to drive recruitment. And so like climate change is not a US issue or a Canada issue or a NATO aligned country issue. It is a global issue. What we do here has an impact of what's going on in the Middle East. It has an impact on what's going on in Antarctica. Like This isn't something that we can just say, oh, we did our part. You can't just say, I did my part and wipe your hands of it. If another country, cough, cough, US, isn't holding up their end of the bargain on taking care of climate change, everybody else has to pick up that slack. And for us to sit on our hands, we produce the most greenhouse gases on a per capita basis. So if we don't do anything, you're putting everyone else at a huge disadvantage right? because they have to pick up all of our bullshit that we're not dealing with.
2: Right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean. Even, you know, the second largest polluter, China, like the per capita basis is there's no comparison, like <laughs> there's no comparison whatsoever to like the per capita basis in the United States. And I, I do want to stress in addition to that, because obviously, that I mean, that's huge, the um, per capita energy usage under underneath all of that. The entities that need to be attacked, in my opinion, are the corporations and the systems and the structures and the government behind all of this. You know, there are, you know, <laughs> there's like for me, pers- I'll just speak for myself personally. Like I'm, I eat mostly vegan, you know, like vegetarian, vegan, and I not as much in this weather, but I try to ride my bike a decent amount, you know, and do all of these things. There's no public transit where I am. So otherwise I'd be taking transit. You know, I try, I recycle, yada, and you know, it's a whole thing, but you know, I try to do what I can, but that's not going to do fuck all. Like <laughs> it's, you know, it's really not going to do much of anything. And so, and there there are all these individuals that are kind of in the same boat. And it's not on individuals to, it's not something we can fix. It's like all the, the when people ask me what, They can do? Like, what can I do? Like, I'm really stressed out about climate change. What can I do about it? And that's a really hard question to answer because it is, you know, you can do this whole list of individual things, which is great. And I think it's important for people to get in that mindset. Yeah.
1: And kind of what you were talking about, Cassie, we're like, an individual can only do so much when the 20 largest corporations are responsible for a bulk of carbon emissions, greenhouse gases, pollution. That's where it's all coming from, are these major corporations. But that would require them to change the way they operate. And capitalism and capital as its whole doesn't want to do that because I'm making $50 million a week. Why should I have to change? Coca-Cola is the world's largest polluter, if not the largest, top five largest. Because what is their number one product made with? plastic bottles, PET plastic bottles. One of the largest companies in the world core product line is a piece of trash that will never break down, basically.
2: Right. And it's made from oil.
1: Keep it going. We're going to take one non-renewable resource and put it into a non-compostable resource. This This is how we do things.
2: For like you know, it's it's just efficiency at all costs, and it really is costing us everything in the in the long run. And that's what you know. Everybody says capitalism breeds innovation, which I mean, there are lots of arguments to pick there in ways that it doesn't. But you know, it, it's also this this efficiency at what cost, and it literally is costing us everything. So that's that's and that's where the incentives really need to change because if that's the incentive structure that's driving everything that's what needs to be targeted, because everything dovetails with that. So it's, uh, and it's huge. I mean, but, you know, economic systems have changed multiple times over. I mean, we used to, you know, feudalism, chattel slavery is an economic system itself, like the stuff can change.
1: Kind of, you know, we've been talking about geopolitical and on a national level with the Green New Deal. You know, we touched on it here and there, like you said, Chattanooga is the sixth uh, fastest warming city in the country right now. But let's kind of take a look at, where we are here in Tennessee and the extreme weather that we've been dealing with over the past few years. I mean, I've been in Tennessee for six years now, six and a half years. And it's been pretty rapid in my short time here with how everything has been going. A big thing that jumped out to me is according to the Natural Resources Defense Council, 29 states have little to no planning for extreme weather events. Tennessee's one of those. So here we are at the state level and shit's flooding every year. Tornadoes are coming in onto the plateau which never happened before. You know, East Tennessee's burning to the ground it seems every summer like but we have no plan at a state level on how to combat this or how to cope with it.
2: That speaks to the the work that you all do, you know, at Change Tennessee, and um, it <laughs> because we need to change our state legislature, <laughs> and um, and also our you know our, our more low, our city councils as well. Just every every level of government really matters um so much in in how this can be done because there are there's actually a i can't remember the official name of it but there's this coalition of mayors across the country that um have come up with their own green new deals and sometimes that term is used a little bit loosely it's like is that actually a green new deal you know is it going as far as is it living up to the name but it it, still it's it's something and so but that's you know it's a huge lift for tennessee because we have as i'm sure your listeners know you know we've got a, a a GOP supermajority in the state legislature. And so that's a, they, the Democrats who a lot of them need to be educated, educated on how serious climate change is, if I'm being perfectly honest, because it's not talked about nearly enough and hardly at all. Honestly, I can only think of a couple of legislators that actually ever have it on their radar, even remotely. But even some of my favorites don't talk about it nearly enough or propose even messaging bills, ever. So that's, that's a whole thing. But even if they wanted to, they literally can't get anything passed. In order for a Democrat to pass something, it has to, a lot of different things have to line up and it has to be just essentially perfectly packaged. And from their standpoint and something that the GOP would want to have happen anyway, but isn't good enough for one of their representatives to run themselves. So it's a, it's a whole thing, but yeah, that, that's a, that's a huge thing that needs to change. And, And honestly, I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest with the timeline that we have, We need federal action, which is frustrating because I love local organizing and we need to be organizing locally regardless. But with the timeline for climate change and if we ever wanted to actually get out of the GOP supermajority and if we wanted a Democratic governor and not only that, but Democrats who actually were going to do shit on climate change, you know, that timeline doesn't line up. Just the numbers aren't there. They don't line up with how quickly and aggressively we need to be acting on climate. So anyway, there's, a again, that, that local organizing and, and is incredibly important and we need to be doing it. But some of that local organizing, that's why Sunrise Tennessee also takes part in, we do local stuff, but we also take part in national actions and the national campaigns that Sunrise Movement puts on.
1: You would think with Tennessee being such a rural and farmer-based, agriculture-based economy there would be more stuff to combat the, these extreme weather weather patterns that we're seeing. I mean, if you're a farmer and a drought comes through or a couple days of 110 degree weather, your ground is hard as a rock. I mean, whatever plants you had in there are probably dying if they're not drought resistant. Or even if they are drought resistant. I mean, that's that's extreme. So it's not even like, oh, this was a long spell. This was real quick sucked the life out of them but then you turn around 3 days later and now you have a flash flood so everything gets washed out i mean to be such an agriculture based state or a state with such a strong agricultural presence you would think people would give a shit and actually push their legislators in order to act on it but we don't see that happening because of you know national propaganda and you know the cable news networks not really giving the green new deal or climate change a fair shakedown and a fair light it's always i don't think i've ever seen the green new deal talked about in a fair light it's always talking about how it's not written well or how it's a complete waste regardless of the cable news network they never talk about climate change in a way that stresses the importance of why we need to combat it
0: no they always talk about it like it's a conspiracy theory because that's what overarching conspiracy theory within itself to talk about climate change as a conspiracy theory but they also take advantage of the fact that like if we're talking about the farmers that are here in tennessee a lot of those families like kids that are about to take over the farms that are my age They actually completed high school, but that doesn't mean that they went to college. Their parents didn't finish school through high school most of the time. And a lot of the media in our area and legislators and stuff like that are taking advantage of the fact that they're not fully educated past that certain point, especially if they're smaller farms that are local farms. Some of the larger agricultural I mean, they've got their hands in the pockets of the people that are creating the bills, but they're not paying attention to what's happening with climate change. They're paying attention to what's going in their pockets because they're probably already getting stuff from Monsanto and, you know, that stuff. It's not good stuff when it comes to the larger corporate farms in our area. And a lot of the larger car- corporate farms are actually chicken chicken farms, and we all know how those- disgusting those are, so
2: they don't really care. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a multi-layered issue. And I mean, just to just to kind of add a statistic on top of all of this you you both have been talking about droughts, Tennessee is projected to see an increase in severity of widespread summer drought of approximately 65% by 2050. So that'll have an insane impact on farmers throughout the state, and there's a lot of other statistics about how that affects like, you know, soil quality, and um, as you said, you know, floodplains. And the, one of the misconceptions about climate change sometimes is that everything will just get hotter, and it will. <laughs> but in addition to that, it's going to create more extreme weather events. So during the winter time, we'll see more extreme, you know, storms, you know, winter storms. You know, everything is just going to get more and more extreme. That's why, you know, the tropical storms and you know hurricanes in the Gulf, which do happen during the summertime, but they are becoming more and more and more increasingly severe. In New York City, you know, Hurricane Sandy that. Could very well become the norm, which was, you know, and, and, and you always see like, oh, this is a uh, one, a five hundred year flood, but they happen every two years now. Like it's, uh... that just happened in Wisconsin too.
0: With that uh, there's a Wisconsin representative that was talking about infrastructure the infrastructure bill and how important it is for cities that are seeing issues with extreme weather events, because they had two 500 year floods in in a two year span. They hadn't even finished fixing the roads that were flooded out two years ago from that 500 year flood when the most recent 500 year flood hit. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about the issues that are happening because it's a rural area. And so people can't go places. They can't because it's a food desert. They can't leave to go to the grocery store It's, you know, like they can't leave to go get basic needs that they need because of that desert area that they have, food desert, because they rely on grocery stores like Walmart to be able to get their food. Or medical, if you had a medical emergency and your, you know, road floods out, you're not getting anywhere your baby's going to be bored in the back of your truck or you're going to
2: have a heart attack and die. Like that's, that's all that's going to happen. Which really affects us here because we're at the, we're either number one or number two in the country in terms of rural hospital, hospital closures. So we already don't have enough hospitals to sustain the, the amount of people that we have in the state. And, um and yeah, if the road is flooded, you're not going to get to that hospital that is two hours away. <laughs> like it's already two hours away. No, you're definitely not going to get to it,
0: especially like trauma center wise, even if you had like a small area to do small things like say you have the flu, if your road is flooded out, you're going to have to either deal with the flu and try to treat it at home or you may die just from the flu. Like it's not even big things. It's small things like that. And people don't think about that when it comes to their infrastructure and issues with climate change. I mean, like there's a a road that floods down the street from me that I can't get, like I couldn't get to work a few years ago because every single road to get to that area of work was flooded because like in Knoxville, it's terribly built with our infrastructure and when it comes to water. Not as bad as Johnson City. I don't know if you've ever been to Johnson City, but it's shaped like a, it's shaped like a bowl. That's actually how I lost my second car. My mom was driving through Johnson City when a flash flood warning hit and my car floated two blocks. My car was a Volvo S, like, S70 or whatever. Those things are not light. They're built like tanks. It floated through blocks. That, I mean, I can't even imagine. They just, everyone needs to own a kayak if you live in Johnson City in, over the next few years, because you're not going to get it, like, if you're not going to get anywhere.
1: You guys have pointed out some really strong, like, some really strong evidence about, like, how dire climate change is and the future cost of it. I mean, we're talking a... Uh, You know, a huge uptick in preventable deaths, preventable property damage. And Maggie, you pointed out something that's huge that I didn't know about until my father-in-law came up and was trying to help us find a house to buy. Tennessee, especially Knoxville, or especially East Tennessee, but Tennessee as a whole, the state is basically one giant floodplain. When it rains in Tennessee, shit hits the fan real quick, fast. And like it's gotten so bad lately. I think it was in effect for 2021. They finally, like the insurance industry finally convinced the uh, state legislature to review flood damage policies and flood damage coverage because they were having to deal with so many claims. We're talking about the way that the system is currently structured it's going to take capital to intervene to get shit done. And it got to the point where like the insurance companies were like, Oh, we're not making money anymore. Now, now we need to fix something. And rather than actually fixing something, they just push that cost onto the consumer. So like, you know, fuck them. Like, no, they, they just need to write us more. They just need to give us more money rather than like, Hmm, why are we having to do so many more flood claims? Oh, it's because the city, the state keeps flooding because of climate change. Rather than addressing the actual problem, capital is just going to push that ball downhill and let it squash the people that it hits on the way, which goes into Cassie, what you were talking about, where it's a class issue. Like Climate change is a class issue and all that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a... It's. I mean, it's gonna hit the. It, it's gonna hit everybody, but the rich first. <laughs> it's gonna go from the bottom up in terms of the severity and how hard it hits. And I, yeah, I mean, just to to add another statistic on on top of all of that, um, all of those good points, you know, more than two hundred thousand people living in Tennessee are vulnerable, especially vulnerable to extreme heat. Um, so you know, we're talking about this stuff in the that's affecting especially the Pacific Northwest right now. Um, This is, you know, and as I said before, Chattanooga is the sixth fastest warming city in in the United States. This stuff is happening right here at home. um, And it's going to continue to get more and more severe. And, you know, there was a piece that came out in the Washington Post, I believe, either today or yesterday, that talks about it, it, it talks about how, you know, the people that are suffering from extreme heat up in the Pacific Northwest, it's actually affecting people's muscles, like it's, it's causing degradation in like people's muscles and like causing all of these like things, health outcomes that are not something that I would have like thought <laughs> would happen. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a healthcare issue. It's, I, I mean, that one is very obvious, but it's a, and, and yeah, it, there's just no, just to hit this point again, there's just no incentive because it's not a financial incentive. There's no incentive to like fix that. There's incentive for, you know, maybe wealthier people to be able to like add resiliency in their own lives um, and to be able to have plans, individual plans for themselves to ride, potentially ride this out for them and themselves and their families. But that doesn't exist for most people in this country and especially in the world. We've got to change that incentive structure.
0: I think one of the things that also terrifies me, Cassie, is like you were talking about the drought issue that's going to be happening. I don't remember how many years ago it is now because everything runs together at this point. (laughs) I think it was like three or four years ago when those two kids were playing with matches on chimney tops and ended up burning like a hundred and something acres of the Smokies. Like all it's going to take this year is like, you know, somebody trying to build a campfire in the Smokies or in Frozen Head State Park. And we're going to lose a whole park because of... This drought issue, because no one's going to be paying attention to that. That's a whole area that's going to be gone. And nobody's nobody's thinking about that. They're like, oh, no, the drought. Oh, well, it'll be fine. And then here comes two kids trying to build a campfire in the middle of the state park and burns down the whole park.
2: That's been I'm I'm from Colorado. That's been happening in Colorado for years. <laughs> you know, there, we've lost and all throughout the West. It's a a, a ton of land has been lost from that exact thing. And there, you know, people are not allowed to even light campfires in a lot of areas out West now. And that's very quickly going to be happening, you know, in a much wetter (laughs) part of the country, Appalachia (laughs) for this, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite as severe as it is out there, but it's, it's, it's still incredibly severe and these, it's just going to get worse because of this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was just like a wake up call for a lot of people because they never
2: expected it. Right. You wouldn't expect it in Tennessee. Like, I mean, Colorado, even before, you know, it's just like, you know, if, if if there was no climate change, it's still a much drier place. Um, It's more likely for something like that to happen. You still, you know, should be able to light camp fi- campfires. And when I was little and when my parents were little, you could do that without really having to worry as long as you were responsible. But in Tennessee, that's something that people have never really had to worry about because it's such a wet place. It's so humid. It's the same thing that just happened in
0: Canada. Like, in the past week, over 200 acres were burned. And it was it was happening at the same time that that huge oil spill happened and caught on fire. And so the media only focused on the oil spill that was on fire. That's all they talked about. They didn't talk about the 200 plus, 250 to 300 acres that were burning in Canada and then the Pacific Northwest. I mean, like, that's a huge swath of land that's just
2: cinders right now. That fire was crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're you're totally right. The Gulf of Mexico, as it should, got a lot of attention, but it got all of the attention. It got all of the attention. No
0: one talked about what was happening. That camera pointing is is a part of, you have to pay attention to what's going on larger and around you besides just the small area that you see every day.
2: I think that's something that is, uh, I mean, that's kind of at the, root of all of this you know I mean the this country was kind of founded on a, like I think if I was to pick two ideals that this country was kind of founded on it's uh property rights <laughs> and individualism you know and um <laughs> and both of those things play really well into the way that our capitalistic structure is uh, set up and our incentives and who has money and who doesn't and also um, how we think about ourselves collectively or not, which we don't. And so, you know, it kind of like helped us become to become this world superpower through exploitation, but but it's going to like, you know, that's also what is going to be our end. And, and climate change is, it's like COVID, it's a, it's a, if anything, COVID really gave us kind of a picture as to how we are already <laughs> and going to deal with climate change, because if we can't deal with that collective issue um, on the scale that we need to, I mean, climate we, we need to keep pushing for it. But it's just, it wasn't very heartening to compare those reactions.
1: <laughs> this is the only planet that can sustain life. Like, we're not terraforming Mars anytime soon.
0: And even if we could, it would take years. We've <laughs>
1: got to get our shit together. We're, you know, we're years, lifetimes away from another planet being sustainable. I mean, we haven't even sent, like, we're, you know, here in July, we're getting our first, like, civilian rockets into space we've only got earth like we can't fuck it up if we do like if we don't correct this our tra- current trajectory like we were talking about at the very beginning you know if we hit that four degrees in celsius that four degrees celsius rise we are screwed life as we know it will end so like we've got to get our shit together
0: you can't grow anything, the animals aren't going to survive, the fish are going to die. We're in the sixth mass extinction, also.
1: We have to turn this ship around. I mean, every day we inch closer to the midnight bells that scientists have been ringing for decades. Because once we fuck up Earth, it's done.
2: It's not a pretty sight.
1: Have people not seen Wally e Like, shit gets real. It gets bad.
2: That's, we don't. We don't want that to be like a, a futuristic documentary, and we can't make a spaceship like that either.
1: No, and I don't want to rely on our robot overlords to save us because their way of saving us will just be like, oh, the humans like fucked everything up. Let's just take them out. If you think the robots are going to be our friends, you are sad. With
2: just give a crap. Just give a crap, please, dear God lord, please. Like, and also, I don't know, it, it just like, like, everybody needs to be mobilizing. Like, there, we can, you know, it's it's a, and I, I try to, you know, go contrary to my nature and remain somewhat optimistic. But, um, you know, what does give me hope is, um, is the people that are working towards a better future. And those who are like, not also giving into the, you know, sort of pessimism of the situation, which I have to force myself not to do. But I'm inspired by people that, you know, that don't give into that, and the people that are, you know, kind of see what's coming, or what could be coming, and still choose solidarity over individual preservation. No matter what happens, you know, it will be stronger if we go through this together. And if we go through it, you know, fighting as hard as we can, a world that is still possible. Um, you know, it is still possible for us to, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have some hardships along the way, but it's still possible for us to ride this out and, you know, create a better society along with it. We all got to be pitching in.
1: We got it. We have to be willing to make a one or 2% sacrifice today in order to have that longevity and in order to be able to survive for the next millennia or, or whatever, as a culture, as a species. So, you know, that's what we can and need to do. And, not just at the consumer level, exactly like we were talking about at the top of the show, you have to put pressure on our lawmakers and our legislators in order to get this stuff done and get, this, get these resolutions passed, get bills passed, get real substantive change at the state level, at the local level, and at the federal level. Because otherwise, our batteries are about to hit zero on earth and... There's not, there's not a plan B.
2: Not animals, because we, we have prompted the, you know, sixth mass extinction, which we're living through. And we are, you know, very connected to animals, even though we don't see that. <laughs> we are obviously animals ourselves. <laughs> we don't see it on the day-to-day necessarily, but their existence affects us and vice versa. But what I was going to say is that the Earth itself, We'll be fine eventually. (laughs) Um, the earth will still be here. Life, you know, will change, but even if we wipe ourselves out of existence, it will be fine. It's us that's fucked. And so we've got to make some big changes. I feel bad that it was so doomsday during the main part of the show and like genuinely, you know, want people to be, you know, if anybody was does want to start like organizing or anything like that, like that's if you want to do something, that's the best thing you can possibly do. And there is so much that we still can do there's a lot of like hope to be had um and also it's like a really great to be just like speaking personally to like organize with a group where you can also like express some climate grief you have you know very real climate grief about the things that are happening and that might happen Um, but then you have people where it's really positive where you're actually working towards you know a future that you want to live in and that is still possible so um, you know, that's where I get like a lot of my hope from. And, um, if you're looking for something like that to, you know, hook, um, hook up with us at sunrise movement, because we'd be glad to have you.
1: So, that's a nice positive message for you guys to go out on.
2: We're all
0: going to die. Congratulations.
1: Everybody keep that in mind in the back of your head during this break. And when we come back, we've got a few people that could just use a bless your heart beyond us as a culture and society, because, oh, bless our hearts. While we slowly poison our planet to death, Elon Musk already has his eyes on our next home. With SpaceX rockets constantly testing the limits of what will and won't explode in our atmosphere, he'll eventually get us to Mars. Once there, we can wash, rinse, repeat our habits from Earth and spread the climate disaster that only humans know how to make. Elon Musk, I'll destroy our galaxy one planet at a time. you thought long and hard about what you can do to make our existence a little less miserable going forward. But now that you have those nice happy thoughts going through your head about how you're going to make the world a better place, we've got some people that could just use a good old bless your heart. It's bless your heart with Bobby June.
2: look at you just so wonderful thank you and bless
1: your heart bless your heart so to start cassie who do you know that just needs a good old bless your heart
2: okay so to lighten it up a little bit this is actually not even climate change related because i feel like i was a little bit doomsday before and i want to change pace this is still not great but it definitely deserves a bless your heart and it's a little bit more lighthearted than that it was, <laughs> I'm sure y'all have seen this by now, but it was the video that Bill Lee and Brad Paisley put out. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was, um. it's basically like Tennessee on me is the campaign, or it's like, Bill Lee, and our taxpayer money are going to pay for like a lottery, basically, of like people that want to come to Tennessee. He'll pay for plane tickets for people to come visit Nashville. And I think, you know, some other, maybe it's not just Nashville, but like, uh, like the major cities, you know, using taxpayer money to incentivize people to like come here. And he made this like ridiculous ad with Brad Paisley to try to like do that. And he does this right after cutting unemployment benefits for the state. He hasn't expanded Medicaid. It's essentially spending a billion dollars Not expanding Medicaid. And so and this is it's just like the most tone-deaf shit. It's hilarious, but also terrible. And he just really deserves a big old hearty bless your heart. He's a bless your heart every day. He is, truly.
1: Every morning I wake up, I just pray to the Almighty that we were blessed with such a governor and it just it warms my heart and gets me through the day. (laughs) Well, Maggie, what about you? Who who needs a good old bless your heart from you?
0: part of it is SCOTUS as a whole because bless your heart and fuck you guys because not only did you decide six to three voting. I mean, you guys pretty much just re rewrote that whole section of the voting acts to be like, no, we could discriminate. It'll be fine. Thanks. But my other bless your heart is to Stephen Breyer, Stephen, you need to retire. You're 82 years old and it's time you need to retire. And you needed to retire this year so that Biden could appoint another justice while we still have a Democratic president in the seat, like in the Oval Office. I don't know why you did this to us, but bless your heart, Briar. Bless your heart. Don't pull an RBG. <laughs> don't wait to retire.
1: That's exactly it, Cassie. Like, both of y'all, spot on. Like, you're 82 years old. Go enjoy your family and don't die in office. And run the risk of merit garlanding and RBGing? no we don't need that
0: we don't need that we've had this happen once we don't need it again don't need it yeah gabe who are you bless your heart in today
1: bless your heart if you are particularly a middle-aged white woman who likes this whole divination like If you're just getting into divination because it's cool and hip, bless your heart. I was fortunate enough over the 4th of July weekend to have someone um, do my future or whatever the hell it is. Now, let me preface this by saying that I know pagans and I know uh, people who practice different variations of paganism. And there is a huge difference between... Witchcraft. Witchcraft, yeah. A huge difference between their practice and what's going on with the new fad of divination and spirituality. Specifically, the cards that were used to divine my future were the most culturally appropriated bullshit I think I've ever laid eyes on. The deck of cards itself were produced by just the widest of women from an imperial state featuring a bust of a Native American or Indigenous person's uh, male with, like, two wolves howling in the background of it. And then you go on to, like, look at what the cards are supposed to divine. It is straight-up trademarked elements of Hinduism and Buddhism. This woman is trademarking elements of religions to sell. But wait... There's more. She also offers training, a 16-week training program where you can be certified in these Buddhist and Hindu trademarked practices for a low, low cost of two grand. If you're getting into this divination stuff and you actually have no idea what the hell any of it is or what the actual like origin of this stuff is, just bless your heart and I hope that this woman just takes you out on a good old Nantucket whale ride, because you deserve it.
2: Oh my god, I didn't know anything about this, and I would like to say that I'm surprised, but I am so not. It just, like, fits so well. That level of appropriation is appalling, but also fits the bill.
0: It looks like something people that think they're spiritual would buy from Walmart. And I mean that in the biggest insult in the world. Or from a truck stop in, like, Iowa.
1: All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Cassie, do you have an internet home or any pluggables you would like to share?
2: Any pluggables? Well, um, I would say to follow uh, Sunrise SunriseMVMTTN, um, at SunriseMVMTTN on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. Um, that's our statewide, you know, those are our statewide social media handles. Um I'm on Twitter at Casjax. <laughs> if anybody really cares to follow me, you feel free to do so there. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it, you know, do what you can and thanks so much.
1: For- Maggie, what about you? Where do you live on the world wide Web?
2: Well, you can go
0: over to Twitter and read the random thoughts that I have. I remember about Twitter about, you know, like every two weeks or so, and I spout off random things. And then I go back to my Instagram and just post very fun pictures. Um, Sadly, June has ended. So I have run out of pride. Well, I could continue doing pride flag makeup. But for the pride month, I was doing my pride flag makeup pride flag makeup, but I just finally got my dice mold and did my first set of dice. So y'all could go check out my dice that I'm going to be making over the next few weeks or so since, you know, shiny math rocks is my thing. Um, so you guys can check it out at L-I-L-M-I-S-S-K-N-I-T. Little Miss Knit on both Instagram and Twitter. Gabe, where can we find you?
1: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at pod underscore south. You can find me on Twitter at Graham 851 Also, make sure to leave us those sweet, sweet five-star reviews as they help others discover us and hear the siren song of Appalachian leftists. Other than that, have a great day, everybody. Hot pot of the South, not your daddy's Appalachian. Hot pot of the South, progress cannot wait.